All right, so we are going to be in the book of Philippians this morning. And uh, again, as I said, I want to give you a little bit of context before we actually read our text, uh, because I'm just kind of diving in. You know, each week, you, as we work through John, we build context. But when, when you grab a random passage, it's like, oh, well, where'd this come from? So today, uh, th- this is written by the Apostle Paul uh, via the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he wrote most of the New Testament, about, I don't know, half to two-thirds and so, uh, you know, he, he's writing a lot to the churches, and uh, his co-author and co-laborer is Timothy, uh, who is the um, first and second Timothy, you know, that Timothy, his, his main understudy. Uh, he is writing while in prison, in Rome, we think. There's a little bit of debate on that, but basically in Rome. And, uh, and, and he, it has a hopeful and joyful tone through the entire book. Uh, which is surprising, because again, he's in jail. And not only is he in jail, but he has uh, a Roman imperial guard uh, like basically chained to him 24-7. And so you think about that for a second. Well, what does that look like 24-7? That means while he's sleeping. That means while he has to go to the bathroom. That means while he's eating. And, uh, and so it's, it's pretty remarkable that he is filled with joy while his physical health, freedom, reputation, and life are in danger while in prison. Paul is filled with joy. He is jailed for spreading the gospel. Now, uh, that's a Christianese term. The gospel basically means the good news. It means basically why we're all here today, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he is the son of God and rose again. And so this is that message that he is being jailed for. What's interesting is that Paul is arguably the most um, or the best evangelist that has ever been upon this earth. And, uh, and he says that his imprisonment is for the glory of God, that it's actually God's plan. And one of the reasons why is, again, he's chained to this imperial guard 24-7, and they rotate out. And so what do you think an evangelist is going to do if someone's stuck by your side 24-7? Of course, he shares the gospel with the imperial guard. And one by one, we see he alludes to in Philippians 1 that he actually converts, or God converts through him, the, uh, the imperial guard. And in that way, spreads the gospel even while in jail. Um, so, you know, but with that said, there is a, a joy in, in this book. And it, it, what is interesting is you didn't have long jail time uh, back in the Roman Empire. Either you were executed swiftly or you were let go. And so uh, Paul says in the letter that he is not going to, he's not sure if he's going to live or die. And, and he thinks that he will end up being let go. And we do know that he does indeed get let go this time. But uh, that, you know, this is, this is his tension, this life and death. So he proclaims, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, but before we get there, let me read the scriptures. This is Philippians 1, 19 to 30. Yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Philippians 1, 19 to 30, the word of the Lord. So Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 21. So at the end of the day, Paul, is, as we read in this passage, is kind of unconcerned. Uh, he doesn't know if what is going to come from his trial, if he's going to live or die. But he basically says that it's unimportant. And, and we see this in verse 20 and verse 25. Uh, he believes that he will continue to serve God uh, for, for his glory, for God's glory. And, and this is in contrast to the Philippians who are discouraged at this point because they're going, hey, Paul's at the height of his life in ministry and Paul planted the church in Philippi and he may die. And yet Paul is saying to die is gain. In verse 23, we see that Paul desires death, that this is the easier choice. To live is harder in Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. Paul would rather die and be with Christ. Is this not a hard truth for our culture in our day uh, where we fear, and I say we broadly as a culture, fear, death? You know, our lives are independent. They're ours. They're, um, they're for our enjoyment. They're not God's. You know, that's what the culture says. But Paul is saying something completely different. He has a broader view in mind. So let, let me bring this concept home for you for a moment. Back in November, there was a man, uh, John Allen Chow, a missionary who went to a hostile tribe on Sentinel Island in South Asia. You may have heard this story. This may be totally new to you. He, uh, he went there to share the gospel because this tribe is, uh, by law, isolated and has never heard the gospel. In fact, no one's allowed to visit. Uh, the, the, I'm not sure what government it's under, and uh, it's in the Indian Ocean, but regardless, they, they have made it a law that you can't visit this island. And so John Allen goes and shares the gospel. And uh, these people, part of the reason why it's forbidden, are known for killing people who come and visit their island because they're so afraid of, of, of different people and different change and, and honestly, technology. So I have a little video clip that kind of shows what happens.
throwing his spears he may get killed and yet he decided to take his uh, boat there and and go just in front of them so he invited he invited that aggression so he said you know I, I i don't think he wanted to commit suicide he wanted to live then it was a foolish uh, you know action on his part club shows us he did die he went to share the gospel and in the end his life uh, was taken uh, and you know here is a man who lived for Christ uh, a modern day uh, um, Jim Elliot for those of you who know that story and uh, I mean it's it's heartbreaking it's heart-wrenching yet you know he here's a man who understood what it means to live for Christ and to die is gain uh, Let's look at our, our own lives for a minute. Have you thought about how you might die? Or perhaps, have you experienced the death of a sibling, a friend, a parent, someone close to you? Of course you have. We all have. And as we look at that pain, part of what Paul is trying to say is, there is a joy that can be found when our loved ones know the Lord and when we know the Lord and we die. It is a great truth that this passage speaks of and it's, it's one that is hard to grasp. But let's, let's go back to the story for a second. Uh, imagine, what if that was your son? I, I think of my little Robbie who's almost four, Andy who's a year and a half. I wouldn't feel like it was gain if this was, was one of them in 20 years. I would be broken over it. I would be a mess, you know? There's real tension there. And I don't want to just brush that aside. That tension is, is a reality of this life and we experience it in different ways uh, as we realize that we are not part of this world, but yet we are in this world. Paul is not saying we should be careless with our lives and not care when someone dies because we know that you know, they're going to a better place to die is gain. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that there's a kind of joy that we can find, a greater purpose in our lives, living for Christ. And yes, sometimes that may mean that we die. In fact, you know, I mentioned Paul gets out of prison. Well, he ends up in prison again a couple years later. In that time, the Roman Empire does choose to execute him. And so he does pay the ultimate sacrifice as a martyr for the faith. It is extremely countercultural to view our death in this life as a positive. With eternity in view, our priorities change. I will come back to the second part of this with eternity in view, our priorities change in a few minutes. 
Uh, but I want to focus in on, on the first part. And so Philippians 1.21 again, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Let me state it another way. What are you living for? Do you live for money? To live is money. Do you live for power? To live is power. Do you live for security? To live is security. What do you live for? To live for Christ and to die is gain is easy to say when everything is going well. When someone close to you hasn't died. When our lives are on the up and up. It's when things start to fall apart that this in our life really begins to be challenged. Let me give you another example. I know many of you experienced in some way or some fashion the uh, financial market crash of 2008 and the housing crash, I think, in about that same time, 2009. How did you respond? Did it reveal what you live for? It sure did for some people. There were reports across the country that people took their own lives over it because they lost everything in the stock market. Why? Why? Because on some level, they lived for money or the security of having a retirement or the power that that money may bring them. So let's finish the statement. To live is money. To die means a meaningless life. To live is power. To die is powerless. To live is security. To die is to have no security. So ultimately, what we're saying is, what is it that you worship? Isn't that the same question? What is it that you worship? The truth that Paul is articulating is this. Humans are made to worship God. Anything else will not satisfy. And that is when I say to live is money and to die is meaningless. That's, that's where I'm going with this. This idea that if it's not worshiping God, if he's not that center, if we're not living for Christ, the rest of it, it, it doesn't matter because it's not going to satisfy us. So everybody lives for something. What is it that you are living for? Fill in the blank. To live is? If it's anything other than Christ, then you are not worshiping God and you ultimately won't be satisfied. So this brings me back to to die is gain. What, what do we gain? We gain perfection. Perfect understanding. No tears. No wars. Perfect relationship. We gain rest. No more sin. No more death. Perfect happiness. Perfect joy. Ultimately, we gain God. Relationship with him for all eternity. This is Revelation 21 and 22. I would encourage you to go there and, and, and take a closer look, especially if uh, a lot of that was new to you on what, what it means uh, when we die. You know, this is that eternal perspective that I mentioned earlier. To die is gain is to look at our world today in view of what is coming. Perhaps a visual example will help. Uh, there is a book, a movie, a musical, musical called Les Miserables. Uh, and in this musical, there's a man, Jean Valjean, who does wrong. He steals a loaf of bread. And then he becomes a convict. He's caught and is in jail for 20 years. And when he gets out, he breaks parole. Uh, and again, this is a made-up story. But when he breaks parole, uh, he decides to spend the rest of his life doing good, helping people, caring for a little girl, saving a man's life. He does all this because he comes to know God. That's very clear at the beginning of the, of the movie, musical, show. 
And, uh, and in contrast, there is a police officer, Javert, who uh, hunts him down literally for the rest of his life because he breaks parole and that means he has to go back to prison. And uh, for Javert to live is the law. And the law in and of itself isn't necessarily wrong, but he puts in his entire life into that law. And so I, we're gonna have a video clip in here in a moment. And when it begins, Jean Valjean just had an opportun opportunity to kill Javert, the policeman, and he chooses not to. And we see how this impacts uh, Javert's world of uh, once a convict, always a convict, and that the law is supreme. One more step and you die. What sort of devil is he to have me caught in a trap and choose to let me go free? It was his hour at last to put a seal on my fate. Wipe out the past and wash me clean off the slate. All it would take was a flick of his knife. Vengeance was his and he gave me back my life. If I live in the debt of a thief, if I yield at the end of the chase, I am the law and the law is not mocked. I'll spit his pity right back in his face. There is nothing on earth that we share. It is either Valjean or Javert. And my thoughts fly apart. Can this man be believed? Shall his sins be forgiven? Shall his crimes be reprieved? And must I now begin to doubt? Who never doubted all these years? My heart is stone and still it trembles. The world I have known is lost in shadow. Is he from heaven or from hell? And does he know that granting me my life today this man has killed me even so I am reaching, but I fall. And the stars are black and cold. As I stare into the void of a world that cannot hold, I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. There is nowhere I can turn. There is no way to go. And so, as the story goes, Javert goes on to kill himself. He realizes that he, uh, to live for the law wasn't enough. 
And he has a choice. He can change what he lives for or live in the inconsistency of his life. And he can't do that. And so that is ultimately what drives him to kill himself. But so what's the bottom line? Everyone is living for something. Every single one of us. The question is, what is it? And if it's not Jesus Christ, it won't satisfy. And so at some point in our lives, we will have a choice. Change what we live for and make it Christ or miss out on the gain that will come someday. If our faith is in Christ, that allows us to live for Christ. Living for Christ gives us the hope of gain after death. So living for Christ is driven by faith, which is our Christian hope. This is the whole, and when we talk about hope as a Christian, it's that gain after death. It's the perfection that is coming. It's the no wars, no tears, no sorrow. Being with our God. So what now? That's great, Bob. You know, that's, that's a great theological truth. I got it. You know, now what? This is uh, why I say, hey, this is really easy when things are going well. It's when things are going tough that we realize, oh, am I actually living for Christ or am I living for something else? Whatever that might be. And so uh, let's take a look at verse 27 because that is uh, where Paul takes us to answer this question. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether uh, I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1, 27. Paul proclaims, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. For to Paul, to live is Christ, uh, which means he's serving the church and spreading the gospel. And he does that to the end of his life. But it's not only his call, it's the call of the entire church of Philippi. And in fact, if you look at Matthew 28, it's the call of every single one of us as his church. So how can we live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? If we are to live in Christ, as long as we are alive, God has stuff for us to do. You know, scripture says that uh, he's prepared works for us to do for his glory. And so the question, the application is, uh, what is God calling you to? Calling you to? Uh, perhaps he's calling you to be like the Apostle Paul and share the gospel. Well, gee, Bob, you know, where would I do that? Well, you don't need to go plant churches, though that's wonderful, and we do need people to go plant churches both here in America and, and across seas. But sharing the gospel could be reaching your neighbor. It could be talking to those that you work with. It could be in the grocery line. It could be at the bank. It can be randomly on the street. Uh, you know, there is a need there. Uh, maybe uh, pray for someone who is hurting, who is sick, who is in need. Meet the need of a person. You know, these are all things that God has called us to. And chances are, throughout our life, he would probably call us to all of these things at certain periods. So that's, you know, that's one general way what are some specific ways? So what specifically is God calling you to live for? This is, of course, under, obviously the answer is to live for Christ, but underneath that, well, what, what does that specifically mean? For some of you, it may mean taking your faith a little bit more seriously. Uh, well, how do, how do you draw closer to God? 
reading your Bible more? Do you consistently spend time in God's word learning about who he is? That's how we get to know him. Praying more, that's how we talk to God. You know, there, there is a general spiritual principle that if we invest time in, uh, in, in pursuing God, but specifically in prayer and studying God's word, then he will make us more like him because that's how we learn how to be more like him is through being with God. You know, his glory and his radiance comes upon us and, and then we have the ability to be more like his son. It's all him and there's no, none of us working. Even our desire to go read the Bible ultimately comes from him but, uh, or, or to pray. But nonetheless, you know, this, is, this is a very practical step that we can take to draw closer to God. Um, for other people, you know, maybe it is reaching out to the poor, serving in a soup kitchen, or, or you know, looking to ways to evangelize and, and care for the people around us. Uh, maybe it's both. You know, I, I don't know. The point is the application is different for each and every one of you. And you have to look at your own life and first answer this question, am I living it for Christ? And then how? How am I doing that? And then, and then you know, I guess the last thing I would say is, be in prayer about it. You know, it's a whole other sermon here, but in the same passage, Paul is talking about the power of prayer and how he relies on the Philippians praying for him and praying that the Holy Spirit would sustain him in this time of trial. And uh, similarly, I would, I would impress upon each and every one of you to pray for each other and, uh, and, and, and ask that question, Lord, how can I be living for you today, tomorrow, and moving forward? And this is how we get that natural joy. You remember how I said that Paul has a joy while in jail, jail and while being imprisoned and attached to a Roman guard at all times? He has a natural joy in this letter and in his life. It's because he is living this out. He is living how God has created him to live. He is worshiping God, and that is what we are made to do. And so that brings a natural joy. We don't pray for joy. We pray for God to work in our lives, and that will bring that natural joy. And so, okay, so what's the third thing here? There's, there's an assumption made that uh, if you live your entire life for Christ, you first have to know who Christ is. You have to believe in Christ. It is impossible to live for Christ and experience his joy unless we first believe in Christ and allow him to be Lord of our life. So what am I saying here? Well, you, you need to know who Jesus is. So Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, Shebab, what, what is sin? Sin is the bad things that we do. It is going against God's holy nature. It's lying, cheating, stealing, fighting. Everybody in some form, some way has sinned and continues to sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, meaning everyone deserves separation from God because of our sins. Everyone deserves eternal punishment for our sins. Yet God did not want even one person to die. That's not his desire to punish. His desire is to save us. And so John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Through Jesus dying on the cross, we can have forgiveness of our sins, of the bad things that we do. So finally, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's my point. Some of you need to look at your lives and, and realize, hey, I, you know, I need to take my faith seriously. But there are probably a few of you in here 
who need to actually accept Christ. And that's the first step to living in Christ, is accepting what he's done, that he died on the cross, and believe that he's the Son of God, and that therefore he has the right to be Lord of our lives. And, uh, and so that's a very real application for some of you. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.